This is the Better Reading Podcast platform with stories behind the story, Jane's Be Better Podcast, my book chat with Caroline Overington and more. Looking for a particular podcast? Remember, you can always skip to it. Welcome to the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story, brought to you by Belinda Audio. Listen to Belinda Audiobooks, anywhere, everywhere. Hi, this is Cheryl Arkell for the Better Reading Podcast, stories behind the story. We talk to authors about how they came to tell us their story. Alexander, <laughs> welcome to Better Reading. I am laughing because we do know each other, don't we? We have known each other for, what, 16, 17 years, something no, like that? who's counting? No, who's counting? We're still young at heart, that's <laughs> we all are, that We are indeed. Um, now, it's very lovely to have you in the office today because I know you've come a long way and uh, you are running late, but we won't hold that against Just you. Just a little. Um, Helga also sends her apologies. Does she? Yep, she's yeah. at a deportment course today. She's graduating, so she couldn't make it. <laughs> Sends her humble apologies. So Helga is the pig. I'm really glad that she can't be with us today. <laughs> I'm also glad that Winston, the goat, can't be with us today. Yes, he has been known to like headbutting your rump. Yes, so it's yes. probably best that he's not in the office. Yes, yeah, probably is best. Okay, now for those of you that don't know Todd Alexander, he was born and raised in Australia and he studied modern literature and law at university. I'm not even sure I knew that. Really? Yeah, well, there you go. Now you do. I've always been impressed with you, though. And he's worked as a bookseller, which I did know, and a book buyer, as well as for 12 years at eBay, one of Australia's most recognised brands. Todd, well, outside of better reading. Well, <laughs> second better reading, I think, eBay is. I think so. Uh, Todd has also been writing for over 20 years, and his first novel, Pictures of Us, was published in 2006. Drawing on his professional expertise, Todd has also authored a range of best-selling guides to buying and selling on eBay. Several years ago, Todd and his partner, are we not allowed to mention him? Yeah, we can. Oh, we can. Yeah. Okay, Jeff. I'll get in trouble. <laughs> Todd and his partner, Jeff, decided to leave the corporate life behind and move to the Hunter Valley in New South Wales, where they run a boutique vineyard and B&B and live with too many cats, well, one naughty cat. One one cat who's learning to behave himself. Yeah, well, that's not going to happen. Pigs, plural. No, singular pig, just one pig now. I have had many pigs, but I'm back to one pig. Yes, Helga. Chickens. How many are we up to there? Two at the moment, but many more to come. Absolutely. And ducks. Um, oh, and the goats haven't yeah, been Yeah, two mentioned. goats. Yeah, Winston um, and... Wesley. And Wesley. And I think I've got something like um, eight or nine ducks at the moment. We keep yeah. rescuing ducks. Yeah. It's just what we do. And you've got other birds. The, uh, uh, peahens and peacocks that are just inundating our property. Yeah. They're, they're mating like wildfire. Yeah, they like to read those they mm-hmm. do okay so todd's latest book and this is why he's with us today is called Thirty Thousand bottles of bottles of wine and a pig called helga 
shall I say that again, 30,000 bottles of wine and a pig called Helga. Uh, it's a funny, candid and sharply observed account of Todd's tree change and free change and all of the chaos and joys that came along with it. Okay, wow. Um, so I, I know a large part of your life and I know a large part of the book um, and I really, really like your writing style with this. Thank you. But I want to talk about um, your life and where it all started. So because you grew up not in Sydney. Yeah, no, I'm a Western Suburbs boy. I was born and bred in the suburbs, um, you know, lived out there till I was 16, 17, moved to the Central Coast with mum and dad, then left home and then pretty much lived in Sydney my whole life. Yeah. That was up until about six years ago when we went, nah, let's get out of the city yes. and move to the bush. Okay. So talk to me more about that and how you got there. Because getting to um, the corporate graces that you got to, um, that wasn't easy either. No, that was really hard work. I mean, yeah. I worked at eBay for about 12, 12, 13 years and really worked my way up over that time. And yeah. it was a great company. I had a fun job. It was, you know, well paid and a little bit stressful, but I really enjoyed it. Yeah. And then one day, Jeff and I went on a holiday to the Brossa Valley. And that's kind of what started it all. We looked at each other and went, hmm. Maybe there's some other life that we could be imagining. Mm. And that was the real seed to us going, well, what would we want to do? So we were staying in, are you allowed to swear on podcasts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah. thanks. We were staying in an absolute shithole in the yeah. Barossa. I used that same word yesterday. We'd see, kindred see? spirits. We That's are. you and I. <laughs> Not referring to anywhere you would stay, of course. Yes, of course. But um, no, we stayed in this absolute shithole in the Barossa Valley and it was falling down and we paid a fortune for it. And we looked at each other and went, maybe we could do something like this, but only much better. And so that was maybe eight years ago, and that started really us thinking about what alternative life could we lead. Mm. And so here we are six and a half years later, living the dream. It sounds so romantic, doesn't it? We live on a vineyard. We've got all these beautiful animals. We, we're our own bosses. You know, we've got a good, successful business. But the reality is it's bloody hard work. Oh, I know that. And we've had a <laughs> lot of catastrophes yeah. as well along the way. But I just wanted to turn that into something funny, you know, like learn yeah. from what Jeff and I did. If you've ever thought about leaving the city behind, it's a cautionary tale as well as a celebratory tale. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been challenging. Well, do you know, um, uh, I was walking my dog this morning of whom, um, you know, John Brown. I did tell him that you were coming around this afternoon. Oh, is he excited? He was beside himself. I can't wait. Um, I love that term, beside yourself. Isn't it? It's fantastic. <laughs> anyway, he was that. Um, and I was chatting with, you know, a fellow dog walker and I was telling them about you. And the first thing I said was, you know, it's a book, it's a memoir, and it's about a friend. It, it's written by a friend of mine who moved from the city uh, to the country. And she's like, oh, wow, isn't that – the connotations around that is like, oh, wow, how fabulous. She was like, oh, that must be a great life. And I think people forget what it takes to keep a property. But, you know, as she peeled off and I kept walking, it's a bit like gardening. People always want a garden that's low maintenance, and that does not exist. No. Well, our garden is about 100 acres, and that's it takes right. me about eight days to mow it. That's right. Eight days so straight. moving to the country and having a quiet life, unless you're moving to exactly what you're going to, you are living in in the city, is really... There's, there's so much maintenance. Oh, yeah. There? I've never worked so hard in all my life. But I mean, you know, there are benefits as well because you're outside Absolutely. a lot. You're breathing fresh air. You know, yeah. you're not surrounded by all these people and all this traffic. And that's really amazing and lovely. But you just have to be prepared for the trade off, which is working really hard. Yeah, but I it's, actually it's really working like working 12, with my hands. Oh, for sure. We haven't yeah. had a holiday for six years. 
you know, but yeah. then I wouldn't want to leave my little animals anyway, no. so I'm okay. okay with that. All right, so tell me about that. I mean, it's it's a big decision because I know you sold a house, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So start from there and tell me how that worked and some of those big decisions that have to be made. So fortunately, we were both of the same frame of mind. Yeah. We both were ready for a change yeah. and we were both young enough to give it a go and we always looked at each other and said, what's the worst that can happen? If we fail, we'll just come back to Sydney. No big deal. We'll pick up where Cheryl. we left off. Yeah, yeah. that was definitely what was going to happen. You weren't aware of it at the time, but it was going to happen. Luckily, you had room for us and a pig and a goat, but maybe not. Um, So, yeah, that was the first. You needed to be on the same page, which we were, fortunately. Then we started looking at properties and what we could afford. So, we owned a Sydney property and an investment property. It's like, okay, well, we've got some equity. How much can we afford? Now, I had grand dreams of becoming the Hunter Valley's version of Maggie Beer. I was going to run a restaurant. I was going to do lots of cooking and preserving and have this gorgeous farm that everyone raved about and came to visit. But in order to do that, I probably needed about $5 million, which we certainly didn't have. So then we just started looking in our price range. And it soon turned out that we couldn't afford what we wanted. So we started shedding Sydney property. And then once we could afford what we wanted, we were like, okay, let's do it. So we sold everything. We both eventually left our jobs. So I went part-time for a while. Jeff left his job straight away and turned our back on everything. Mm. And we always just said, let's just jump off the cliff together. As long as we've got each other, we will find our way. You know, there have been arguments along the way. There's been lots of laughter along the way. But because we're in it together, we just sink or swim. That that was it. Yeah. Um, Tell me about the the night that you kind of drove out there and you arrive and you've got – so you bought a property and I always say it's 100 acres. Is that right? Yeah, it's about 100 acres. Oh, there you go. I got it right. That was the first time I got it right. (laughs) Maybe sometimes I say (laughs) 1,000. But anyway, it's 100. And you drove up that driveway. I mean – one, it's very beautiful. I mean, driving up that driveway, which wasn't really there at the time, was mm-hmm. it? It wasn't as it is now. And you see those kangaroos and you see the olive trees and there are always kangaroos to greet you at the gate. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like that you've planted them there. Oh, yeah. Like, they just love our property. They're beautiful. There's scores of them. I probably reckon we're home to about 150 kangaroos who yeah. never leave our property. No. And, and they're just lounging beneath yeah. those olive trees. They're yeah. so beautiful. But when you drove up, what? tell me about that first feeling that you and Jeff had? The, honestly? That, that's big. So the very first time we saw the property with the real estate agent, I just, I literally pissed my pants. I was so excited. That might be too much for the podcast. I weed my pants. <laughs> I was so excited because I had just found, it is a beautiful property. It's quiet. It's peaceful. It's got an amazing outlook. It's it gorgeous. had dams. It's got crops. It just had every single thing that we wanted. And I was just beside myself with excitement. And then the real estate agent was driving us through the vineyard. And at that point in time, there was something like 12,500 grapevines, 150 rows. And then it started dawning on me. And I was like, the holy crap. Yeah. We didn't sign up for this. We, and I was just like, don't worry about the grapes. Just fall in love with the property, buy the property and worry about all the hard work later. Anyway, a few days later, Jeff called me and he's like, guess how many olive trees we've got on the property because we were determined to get it. And I said, I don't know, 20, 40? And he went, no, it's a few more than that. I went, 100? He went, no, we've got 1,000 olive trees. You're kidding. And I said, how did you know that? And he said, oh, I sat at work on Google Earth and counted every single one. That's the kind of person wow. Jeff is, by Yes, the way. I know that, yeah. yeah. So yeah. then we just kind of thought, okay, Let's not worry about the hard work. a thousand olive trees? Yep. I always tell people it's a hundred. See, you're wrong there. 
<laughs> it's not a thousand acres, but it is a thousand olive trees. I'm getting it all mixed Let's up. Let's tell everyone everything's a yeah. thousand. We've got a yeah. thousand of everything, a thousand goats, a thousand pigs. Um, so then we just went, let's not worry about the hard work. Let's buy the property, move to the property and worry about everything else later. So we arrived that first day, mm. 100 acres, armed with an Aldi electric mower and a pair of gardening shears. Yeah. That was it. That was the only equipment and we had. And a tiny four-cylinder car. And a barina. That was it. Not even a four-wheel drive. No. But let me tell you, that barina has shifted a Noah's Ark full of animals in its day. (laughs) It's done a good job. We've gotten rid of it now. but it And it's also probably shifted about three quarters worth of Bunnings materials home. Yeah. Um, So this was just... It held out that little car. It It did. did. So this just shows how grossly unprepared we were. And then financially, we were completely unprepared. So I called this one guy and said, oh, can you come and mow the grass for us? And he looked on Google Earth. He's like, yep, no problem. I said, now, listen, I want you to come and mow four times a year. I want you to be my my regular mower guy. Let's have a kind of relationship. He's like, yep, we can definitely do it for you. I said, how much? He said, oh, $3,000. And I was like, wow, $3,000 for a whole year's worth of mowing. And he went, no, mate, every single mow mm. would be three grand. So then Jeff and I looked at it and went, maybe we need a tractor yeah. or maybe we need a ride-on mower. So was there equipment on the property? No. no. So the previous owners had offered to sell us all of their equipment, like hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment for a hundred grand, which we were saving to renovate the property, etc. And we were like, as if we need that equipment. What a joke. Tell the guy he's dreaming. <laughs> and then let all that get sold at auction. And literally when we arrived, it was a barina and our Sydney possessions and nothing else. Mm. Great mm. fun. Mm. I think I would have cried that night. Well, Did I was cry? I was also petrified because when you're in the big dark open, mm. like all the curtains were open and I just you can't see any neighbors, you can't see any other building. There is no lighting out there and I just felt really exposed. Like you live in the city and you're so close to so many other people that you kind of feel comforted by that. So mm. I was petrified. So we used to lock the front gate every night just so, you know, serial killers couldn't come and find us. Mm. Because they're going to go to that oh, yeah, property. Of, yeah, of all of places course. on the planet, yeah. it's going to be yeah. our property. But, you know, you watch so many scary movies as a kid and they're mm. always set in those big rural places. Mm. So, yeah, well, I was scared about that. And I think it was only in probably day two or three that I started walking the perimeter of the property, which takes about an hour. And I saw a brown, uh, black snake and pooed my pants then mm. as well. Freak. And then you just start realising the magnitude of what you've taken on. But I wasn't scared about it. I just was, my philosophy is I'll worry about it when I get to it. Mm. And yeah. so, you know, that's what we've done. Okay. Um, now, there are a couple of stories that I, I have frequented the property um, many times. Is that right? I've been to the property many times and I love it. Um, and it has changed so much since you first bought it. But let's, one of my favourite stories is the chicken story when the chicken was sick. Can mm-hmm. you tell us that story? Well, you get these animals onto the property for a reason. So we yeah. obviously wanted to give eggs to our guests and you don't really appreciate that when you bring a property, uh, an animal onto the property, you need to know how to look after them. So oh, chickens are really prone to illness. So they get really hot in summer. Um, they sometimes eat the wrong food. So you've really got to kind of keep a watch out for them. So over the years, we'd lost a few chickens to heat stroke and a few other illnesses. And then one day, one of our really beloved chickens, Stevie, she's named after Stevie Nicks. Mm-hmm. It's a whole other story. Um, so she was really sick and she wasn't walking properly and she just, she wasn't eating, she wasn't drinking. 
And I said to Jeff, oh, no, I think we're going to lose another one. And so I raced onto Google and had a look and I thought, maybe she's egg-bound. So Meaning? Well, sometimes chickens struggle to pass their eggs. Right. So it's like it gets stuck. Right. And if they don't pass the egg, they will literally die. die. And it can, they yeah. can die in 24 hours. So sure enough, we Googled all of the um, symptoms and she had all of them. So it was New Year's Eve. We were due at the next door neighbours for a New Year's Eve party. And I had to text Natalie, the neighbour, and say, look, we're running late. I'll explain when I get there. So we got to her house at about 8 o'clock. She said, what's what's?" Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash post. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Wrong. What have you been doing? I said, oh, we've just been massaging a chicken in a warm water bath. And she said, <laughs> what, are you, what are you talking about? And so what you have to do for an egg-bound chook... And was she egg-bound? Yeah. So, oh, so yeah, she was. She was. So yeah. fortunately at the time we were living without running water because we've been renovating for six years. So Jeff sponged himself off in a large bucket. So in his used soapy water, we had the chicken in this bucket and you slowly massage her abdomen for about half an hour. And I was also scratching her and giving her kisses, but that's just me. And then after that, you put her on a cushion and make her really comfortable, and she just sits there. So we went to the New Year's Eve party and came home, and sure enough, the chicken had laid an egg. So she was fine. And then I picked her up and I held her in my chest, and she fell asleep after 20 minutes. And Mm. So now we know how to solve egg-bound chooks. Mm. But who'd have thought, right? Oh, you get chickens on the property and you think they're self-sufficient. Yeah. But, you know, that's just one of the many fun things that we do. Yeah. Okay, so tell me, describe how the property looks now. So it's fairly well cleared. There's a little bit of bushland. So what I love about our property is that it's it's quite varied in what you get. So there's... Um, What's it called? It's called Block 8 in the yeah. Hunter Valley Wine Region. So it's just north of um, Pecolbin. Yeah. So we've got about uh, 12 acres of grapes, um, yeah. which are all lush and green at the moment. We've got about 10 acres of uh, olive groves, which is where all those kangaroos sleep in the shade. We have um, five tourism villas that we've built ourselves. And they're beautiful. They're really lovely. I've stayed in them. They yeah. are just, they are high-end, beautiful, comfortable Oh, villas. thank you. We really wanted to give people like a piece of luxury in mm. the country. Um, we also have a wine tasting room, which is like an alfresco room overlooking Gorgeous. our main dam, yeah. which is huge. And then most of the other areas around the property are cleared. So it's kind of like open pastures, really nice and green at the moment. 
And then we've just also spent a few weeks building a one-acre enclosure for the goats, uh, the goats and the pig. So they moved in last night. And oh, did they? I'm kind of helicopter parenting at the moment. Been checking <laughs> Check on them in. 20 times a day. <laughs> Helga's fine because she's got a mud bath in there, a big dam, so she's fine. And happy, I And imagine. she's really happy. She's like a pig in mud. Absolutely. And she's in it like 12 times a day. Right. Now, Winston, I, I'm his best friend, yeah. and so he follows me Winston wherever I the go, goat. the goat. Yeah. So he's a little bit out of sorts. So yeah. every time I approach, he bleats out at me madly. But anyway. What? Out of sorts with your new accommodation? Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. he's only ever lived in a smaller area on our yeah. property before. But yeah. honestly, Cheryl, you should see this place. Jeff has built like a triple terrace house. Is that for the, the text animals. you sent me the yeah. other day? Yeah, that's see, I couldn't work out whether that was accommodation, another villa. No, no. that's the animals' house. <laughs> that's the animals so they've got house. a room each, but they've also got like a winter room with two windows, or a summer right. uh, winter room with no windows, summer room with two windows. And it's all done in like um, traditional Australian style. Mm. So it's got a rusty roof. They have to be the best looked after animals in the world. They're pretty well looked after, They're I have pretty to well. say. Yeah. Um, so it has changed. What What does it take to change a property from it being 100 acres with one house and a shed to what it is now? Lots of money. Yeah. <laughs> um, lots of hard work as in physical, like gruelling physical labour. I've seen that. Yeah. It is gruelling physical labour. Yeah. I mean, you've sometimes come up and cooked for us while we've been slaving our guts out mm. and there's nothing better than just walking into a kitchen and having someone having cooked for you because <laughs> you're so exhausted. And outside of those cooking hours, I've been lying on the lounge reading a Correct, because yeah. you don't yeah. do manual labour yourself, <laughs> no, which don't. is fine. You, you didn't sign up for that. <laughs> yeah. um, so it takes a lot of hard work. It also yeah. takes um, a lot of faith that what you're doing will pay off. Mm. Um, I also think for couples, it takes a very particular couple to work together. 24-7. I want to talk about that and I want to talk about um, cu- the isolation of living in the country as well. We'll get back to that. Yeah. But anyway, t- tell us what it takes to get there. Uh, for a couple, I think it's a very particular couple that can live and work together. Yeah. I mean, you know, you are literally the only two people you see are is each other all yeah. day, every day. And that's most days, isn't most it? Most days. I mean, we work seven days a week. That's yeah. just what our business demands. I mean, you know, it's good because Jeff can go off and build and I can go and drive wine tours or yeah. whatever. But at the end of the day, you come back together. And I think the kind of couple that thrives in that, you have to be your own worst enemy and your own biggest supporter and the mm. same of your partner. Like you have to be able to criticise your partner for what they do but also Mm. praise them Mm. and you've got to be open to that. Now, let me tell you I'm not great at getting criticism and Jeff will be the first to to admit (laughs) that. And maybe I've noticed that over Mm, the years. Yes, as in when I got here a tiny bit late today, I'd like had my head bitten off. But anyway, after driving for three and a half hours. but That's right. Yeah, no, that's the kind of couple. talk about your book. Yeah, well, I'm very happy to be here, don't (laughs) get me wrong. Um, So that's the kind of couple that it takes, you know, you've just, and also communication, Mm. um, but also those stresses that you face. So financial stresses, you know, where's the next paycheck coming from? What's all these jobs? that need doing, you've really got to talk each other through that and communication's the key. Mm. Um, but I don't but think also, every couple could live and work Oh, like I just know I couldn't. But tell me about how how does a community accept a couple like you? You know, when we first moved, I expected, like being the country, I expected people to knock on the door and deliver, you know, homemade apple pies mm-hmm. and welcome the gates of the neighbourhood. Because let's face it, as soon as we moved in, the prices of the street went straight up. Of course they did. Um, but none of that happened. No. And we were okay with that because we actually moved to the country for to be in solitude. We wanted mm-hmm. a quiet life. 
But over time, as our business grew, we've gotten to know so many local people, especially other local small business owners, and not a single one of them gives a damn about who you are, like as far as being gay. It doesn't matter. But also as far as coming from Sydney. Oh, and no. no. Like, I mean, when you first move there, there's a lot of naysayers. Oh, yes. You boys don't yeah. know what you're doing. Exactly. You boys don't know what you're in for. Yeah. yeah. More peripheral people like labourers or the water delivery guy. Like I write about Phil, the water guy, who just every time he came to our property is like, what are you ladies up to this time? And all oh, that kind of dismissive God. rubbish. Yeah. But he kind of did it in a almost in a nice caring kind of way as well as a piss take, you know, that Australian Mm. sense of humour. But overall, like, all I have to do is pick up the phone to any one of the locals that we've gotten to know and say, hey, we're having a problem. Do you know how to fix this? Can you come and help us do this? And And they do. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it's different when you're in Sydney. Like, people don't look at you. People are always looking at their phones. When you're in the country, like, people smile at you and say hi and, you know, mm. even at the local supermarket, they know Jeff and I. They know what our business is. Like, how's Block 8 going? Mm. And, you know, the post office workers, we have a hilarious time with them every time we see them mm. because it's a different mentality. Like, everyone's in it together. Mm. So it's been a really, really charming um, discovery. Mm. That's good to know, actually, because sometimes I think those experiences, can't, you know, can be not so good as well. Um, so... In like we're six and a half years down the track, did mm-hmm. you say? Yeah. If you were to look back, how would you do things? How, would it be? Would you do things differently? Would you do things as they are? What, what would? I don't believe in changing what we're trying to change what we've done because I'm so happy with where yeah. we're at. And every mistake, and be. Yeah, yeah. Look, and every mistake is a learning experience and got us to where we are. And every laugh has been just so worth it. And look, there have been tears and multiple near-death experiences, which you can read about in the book. Um, but the only thing that I would change, even though I said I wouldn't, is better planning. Mm-hmm. You know, we just thought that we had enough money, we had enough time, mm-hmm. and we had enough resources to do this quickly. Mm-hmm. And six and a half years in, and we're still building, we still haven't quite finished And I expected that to happen much faster. Mm. So I would just take myself aside and go, look, what you're doing is right and you're going to get there in the end, but just be patient. And do you think, let's say, the water guy or the people at the post office or wherever thought that you would last? No. No. I think, you know, there is a history of people moving to um, wine regions and thinking it's all a very glamorous and romantic (laughs) life and... Buying. And that making wine is just really simple. Oh, and you can just sell wine at $30 a bottle and you just roll in, yeah. just rolling in it. And that's where the title comes from, by the way. Our vineyard at its peak will produce 30,000 bottles of wine. And Jeff and I can drink maybe 5,000 of those a year, but the other 25,000 is <laughs> really hard to sell. And I can drink a couple of hundred. You, you're very good at the semi-on, let me tell you. Um, so, no, I don't think many people expected, you know, two guys who had never done this. We lived in Annandale in inner Sydney. Yeah. We had a three meter square courtyard with two pot plants in it low maintenance low very low maintenance and one cat one streetwise alley cat and then you move and take on all of this so a lot of people like there's no way you will survive but i think what jeff and i showed people pretty quickly was a willingness to get our hands dirty and a willingness to ask questions and advice and once people saw that we were interested and keen to succeed then the floodgates of support opened uh, one of the things that I noted about the book, so it's a beautiful memoir, it's got recipes, mm-hmm. and are we going to talk about that? Before we get to the recipes, I want to talk about the acknowledgements, because there's pages of acknowledgements, mm-hmm. and usually there's only one or two, 
And I think that that's a reflection on the community, isn't it? Yeah. Not just your community at the Hunter, but talk to me about family and friends. We absolutely would not have survived without the help of probably, without counting them, 100, 150 people. Mm. people and who, you've mentioned them all in the book. I've tried to. Yeah. I hope I've remembered everyone. But um, people who just gave up their weekends, yeah. like multiple weekends, just to, to come do jobs like and what? Pruning 12,000 grapevines, picking grapes. Cooking. Cooking, cooking. <laughs> did I mention you cooked for yeah, us? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. did. You did. And, you know, people would just come at the drop of a hat. Oh, yep, you need help. Yeah. And, and nobody gets paid for it. I mean, they get wine and food and good times. And that's and what we can share. Awesome company. Yeah. Um, and a headbutt from a goat if yes. you're, if you're yes. very special. Um, but they just did it out of love. And... We absolutely couldn't have done it without them. So I, in writing the book, most, most of the time when you read acknowledgements in a book, it's about acknowledging people who have helped the book get published. That's right. Which there are some of those at the back. But what I wanted to do is take the opportunity to say, hey, this is a celebration of every single person that's mm. helped Block 8 get where it is. So I really wanted to include as many people as I could. And I think that that creates so much goodwill because when people talk about you and your property, it's always a fondness towards the project. Yeah. And I love that because, you know, I mean, there's so many, I mean, you know, Australians can have the tall poppy syndrome. But I think for what you did and what you're trying and it would achieve, you were inclusive and it was like we all felt that we were part of it, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, people wanted us genuinely to, to succeed, succeed but I also think there was an element of people living a little vicariously through us. Yes, you know, people I People who, who just wanted to go, oh, yeah, I'll go and work on a vineyard or I'll go and mow 100 acres and, you know, people have had a real chance to see a different kind of mm. life and what Jeff and I love particularly about that is showing that to city kids. Mm. So most of our friends have got kids now and they come up to the farm and they see all the kangaroos and the goats and the pig and how actual farms work and the tractor and mm. like we love showing that to city kids who would not often get that experience. No, it's and fantastic. And the kids love it. Yeah, they do. Okay, talk to me about the recipes. So, oh, you know I did want to be Maggie Beer, right? Yeah. So I kind of still do want to be Maggie Beer. And I Beer. noticed there's a Maggie Beer quote. Oh, on how the gorgeous is Maggie? We yeah. reached out to her and she read the book and loved it and said how funny it was. So she yeah. gave us a really lovely quote for the cover, bless her. Like she's an angel. Um, anyway, I kind of still do want to be Maggie Beer and it was always my dream. So I've got a cookbook obsession. Yes. Literally I've got thousands of them. It's like food porn and I read them once and never cook from them and they just clog my bookshelves. So I've always... Well, they make them look lovely. Oh, I know, really. They're beautiful books. I'm with you. Yeah. Um, and so I always wanted to write a cookbook. And so as I was writing this, um, our lifestyle has changed completely since we moved to the country. And when you are as close to the animals as I am, you start thinking about what role animals play in your diet. So at the end of the book, I wanted to put a couple of recipes that didn't involve animal products. Um, and these are ones that I had to teach myself from scratch because once and you remove, yeah. yeah, yeah, once you remove animals from your diet, yeah. you know, I just couldn't have this baby pig sit on my chest every night, falling asleep while I was watching TV and then go and help myself to half a kilo of bacon in the morning. It just mm. didn't feel right. So I wanted to write a few recipes for people who are scared of the word vegan because everyone thinks you're just chewing on tofu and carbs 
cardboard mm. to show that there's really quick and easy and really flavoursome recipes to make. And when you work as hard as I do, I don't have the luxury to be in the kitchen for hours, so I just wanted to include a few mm. of those at the back of the book. Mm. But you are making, you do make your own jams and chutneys. Yes, and just like Maggie. Just like Maggie. <laughs> and you've got olive oil as well. Yeah, we do bottom. olive oil, which, you know. Well, I think he's excellent. Yeah, it was just a beautiful moment when you bottle your first olive oil yeah. and when you bottle your first wine and just taste that first sip it's just so rewarding because it's not like working in the corporate world I mean I loved that life but when you do something with your hands and you take this plant from nothing to to harvest and then you get the bounty from it it's so rewarding it's really lovely Todd Alexander it's always a pleasure you know I can talk to you every minute of the day we we will be talking for the rest of the day just (laughs) not on podcasts we will Um, the book is called 30,000 bottles of wine at a peak called Helga Um, congratulations thank you very much If you'd like more information about Better Eating, follow us on Facebook or visit bettereating.com.au. This podcast is proudly sponsored by Belinda Audio. Belinda Audiobooks are available on CD and MP3 from online booksellers and bookshops everywhere, or you can download from Audible, Google Play or the iBook Store. We've also created our own app called BorrowBox that's available from both the App Store and Google Play. All you need to do to get it working is to download the app, join your local public library, and you'll gain access to the world's best collection of e-books and e-audiobooks available for you to loan on your phone or your personal device. Belinda, we're here to enable you to escape, imagine, grow, and be inspired through the power of storytelling. Belinda Audiobooks. Anywhere. Everywhere. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. If you enjoyed this podcast, leave us a review and check out the other podcasts on the Better Reading Network.